again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How uncomfortable is it for you when the church talks about giving? Have you ever felt pressured to give or that you'll be perceived a lesser Christian if you don't give? Lead teacher Randy Pope concludes the series, Glorious Grace, Generosity and Grace, with the second part of a message entitled Grace, Generosity, and Faith, which covers Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 19. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Probably some of you who perhaps were guests uh, just uh, coming to this church, uh, don't know, maybe some even seekers trying to figure out the faith of Christianity. And you just heard Jeff uh, say the all-in campaign. And when you heard those words, there was probably a little bit of, oh, what did I come to this week? This is their pledge Sunday. It, it is a celebration Sunday to us, but I want to say something if you're a guest. I really think this will be a great day for you just to observe. If you find any interest in church, if you find interest perhaps in looking at this church to kind of get an inside look at the perimeter family. We really are a family at this place. And God has used this family in a, in a rich way. And I hope that whatever you do experience, and seeker, I have, I have thought about you throughout the message. I did last week, and it was a, a part one. So if you come this week, it's part two. It would seem perhaps a little even more distant. No, no, no. I hope your expectation will be such that uh, this will be beneficial. I really think it will. It'll have great application to you. But I, uh, if nothing else... Do you know, we've, this is the 12th time that we've done this in 40 years. So we don't do this every week. This is a very rare, rare thing we do. But it's an important thing. I don't know how many of you were here last week. I shared statistically what had happened over these years. But in doing this the 12 times that we've done it, because of doing so, uh, over the 40 years, we've been able to give. And I'm talking about give to that which will not come back to be any part of this church. But in terms of trying to help the poor and extend God's kingdom elsewhere and so forth, over those 40 years, because of these 12 all-ins, uh, 11 that we've done so far, we've been able to give $83 million to needs all over this globe and even here in Atlanta. Yeah. Worthy, of, worthy of encouragement. but. Uh, uh, the interesting statistic, a little different than I shared last week, I, I said in, in, uh, in uh, X number of years, I forget, but 10 years, in the last 10 years, 67% of that has been given. 67 of that 83. And the 83 doesn't include a 10 million that's been matched of our kingdom investments. So, uh, I mean, it's just, a, and all of that 10 has come the last 10 years. So what God's doing through this place for your community for people you care about who have so less than uh, you and I have, this is a very special time. It's important to the life of this church. So thank you for patiently just being here with us and observing. And I hope it's going to be a blessing to get an inside look at uh, this particular church family. Last week, I began the teaching of, of how we're going to now take in a grace series the idea that we've been teaching through our teaching team the idea of grace as it connects to generosity. And now last week and this week, 
My assignment is to now show how grace and generosity connects with the thing called faith. I used an illustration to begin with. It's important to hear again if you're new or to hear if you're new with us because it, it kind of sets up the direction in which we're going. I, I shared this story. I won't tell the detail as I did last week, but I, I, I told the story a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago now, of meeting with a, an atheist, a young late 20s atheist, and as we talked about the things that we differed having to do with God or the absence of a God, the conversation went something like this. I started by simply asking when he told me he was, he said, I don't know if you know, but I'm an atheist. And I said, I never met this fellow. And I said, well, it's interesting. I'd love to, I'd love to just interact a few minutes about it. I said, I'm a theist. I believe in God. I'm a particular type of theist. I'm a Christian. But we differ in our view of God, whether he exists or he doesn't. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible at all? Do you think it's possible for me to prove there's a God? He said, no way you can do that. I know he was expecting me to come back with my proofs that he could then counter. And I said, you got it right. I cannot prove God. And anybody who says they can prove that there's a God, don't believe them. You wouldn't. I wouldn't. But I want to ask you a question now. Can you prove to me that there is no God? He thought a minute. He said, no. I don't think I could prove that. I said, you can't. I can't prove there is a God. You can't prove there's not a God. I'm a theist. You're an atheist, atheist, non-theist. So I said, you know what we're both doing? This we do have in common. You and I are men of faith. Both of us are men of faith. I happen to have faith that there is a God, and I live according to that faith and belief. You have faith that there is no God. And you're living according to your beliefs. I said, now, here's the thing you want to do. What you want to do is to make sure that as you think about the existence of God, that you would think through very clearly because we're gambling. Do you get that? We're gambling. I'm gambling there is a God. You're gambling there's not a God. And I bet if you're a gambler as you are and I'm a gambler as I am, that one thing we have in common is we want to place good bets. We, want, we don't want to bet with all the evidence against us. We like betting with the evidence on our side. And so when it comes to the existence of God, I'm going to suggest to you that you look at the odds. And then when you look at the odds, you think about the gains and the losses if you win or if you lose. I would encourage all of you to do that. All do that. And so here's what it comes down to all of us. Can we, can we make a bet that God exists? Most of us here have done that. We call ourselves Christians. The family at Perimeter, we call ourselves Christians. And so we've placed our bet, and our bet is there is the existence of a God. I'm living accordingly. But here's the question. Can that God be trusted? Uh, are we going to place our bet on that as well? See, I don't understand. I, I do it myself, but I don't get it. Why I could be so convinced that 
my loved ones that I long to see, or your loved ones that you long to see because they've now deceased, but they were Christians too. And we have this great trust that we're going to see them again. Why do we believe that? It's by faith. I can't prove I'm going to see my loved ones that are in heaven. Even if Christian, I, I can't prove that. But I place my bet on it. And therefore, I have, I have peace about that. So get this in mind. Seeker, everybody here, we're all, we're all gamblers. We're placing our bet. What I want to do is I want to argue for the idea of taking God's promise and placing our bet on that promise as opposed to thinking of what we feel and logic about certain things such as our finances. For some reason, Christian after Christian, the vast, vast, vast majority, proven by statistics, the vast majority of Christians don't even come close to following God's promise when it comes to financial faith. They don't do it. The average gives 1% or 2% or something like that of people who call themselves Christians. Well, what, do we trust him? So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to unapologetically, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to pick up where I left off last week from the challenge. And I want to say to you, as you hear me challenge you, I want you to know I'm asking something for you and not asking something from you. And if you come hearing this, okay, they're talking about money, they want something from me, then if you feel that's the case, I said it last week, I say it with true integrity, you give your money, you give it elsewhere, where you're convinced they're not just coming for your money. But give it to the needs that you believe are important. Now, having said that, I went through two of the reasons that I'm going to unapologetically challenge this whole family to giving. And it has to do with what's for you, not from you. Number one, there's a certain kind of spiritual growth that comes only as a result of the adventure of giving motivated by grace. And I looked at four of the common things that are used to cause us to spiritually grow, one of which is generous giving. And I shared a little bit about Carol and my experience. Oh, my goodness. Nothing, and I mean this, nothing that we've experienced so far has enhanced our spiritual growth as our financial faith walk. That's why I believe in this so much. Number two, we looked at this. Without periodic encounters with God regarding our financial faith walk, we tend to revert back to sight walking. And that is absolutely sure. I think all of us would agree with that. We need something like this. 12 times in 40 years, absolutely we need it. Our hands start clutching and holding on to and thinking, and then all of a sudden we encounter this and we're, said, and we're told, let's go meet with God. Let's take 40 days of prayer. Let's, let's fast during those 40 days, at least some portion of that time, and let's just seek God and see what God does. And then we see these hands just kind of let loose. We go, wow, what a great sensation this is. This was not good. This is good. And we go, man, we need that. That is good. I ask you to read Philippians 4, 10 through 19 that we're looking at today. Self-discovery is the greatest way to learn. I hope you did that. If not, you're fine, but I want you to follow in the bulletin and follow me even now as I read the text of Philippians 4, 10 through 9. This is Paul addressing 
the church at Philippi. And this will go under our third major point where we're picking up today, the third reason being this. God's provision for his people is in part, hear that, in part, connected to their faith walk. Connected to their faith walk. So I'm going to take a a page out of the journey materials. If you're in journey right now, we happen to line up this year with this text that we study. And so this will be good repetition. You haven't yet gotten there but you're going to. This will be great preparation as well. So Philippians 4, 10 through 19, the apostle Paul writes, he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from what, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. By the way, isn't that interesting? Learned how to be content with abundance. Hmm. 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Interesting verse we'll come back to real quickly. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. Paul definitely had that sense of I want something for you. I'm not asking something from you. You've given, and I'm glad, not for me. I'm glad for you. 18, but I, have, but I have received everything in full. I have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. It's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, here comes the great promise. Now, he's writing on the inspiration of God. And he says this, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, first thing I've got to, I've got to caution because we are hearing it all around us, steer clear of prosperity theology. This is not prosperity theology. Prosperity theology is promising lifestyle prosperity when we give to God. Surrender to God, give to him, lifestyle goes up. Maybe not. That's not true. What God does promise is life prosperity. You give to God, surrender your life, give your things to him, watch what you, and God's going to prosper you sometimes, hear this, by taking the abundance that we have and maybe minimizing the abundance so the golden chains that are binding us are loosened for that very reason. He says, I want to bless you. And so there is a contentment to be learned with having too much or having too little, as Paul is referred to there. Now, his motive is seen again in verse 17, just to read it one more time. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. I want you to look at these words, the count, or look at profit, increase. You see, he's talking in financial terms. He's using the terminology of the day. We use the same terms when we talk about finances ourselves. The word account means credit, that there is an account in every believer's name. He knows that. 
That's what the Word of God teaches. And so he's saying, look, I know that you have an account. And the good news is I know that you are profiting. The word profit means dividends. It actually means interest. He's saying, I know that the deposits that you're making are going to have incredibly high dividends for you. And that's why I rejoice in the fact that you have given. The word increases literally means to accrue excessively so as to reach overflowing proportion. And then we come to the last verse. The very last verse says this, 19. It says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, if you follow your outline, I want you to see the four basic truths that are being taught. Uh, They come right out of this text and they're supported throughout the word of God. So very quickly, let me read them and then just say a word. Number one, God has given a promissory note guaranteeing he will meet the needs of all Christians who qualify, key word who qualify, which I'll explain in point two. But my God shall supply. It doesn't say he might, he could, he hopes to. No, he says he will do that. So here's the question, Christian. When we place our bets, are we betting that God can be trusted as it has to do with our needs? Do, do we even think that's, or do we say, no, no, no. If I don't control, if I don't do it my way, then no, it, it, it won't happen. But it says to all who qualify. So we have to ask ourselves, wait, wait, wait. He promises to take, but not everybody, not every Christian can take that promise and say, hey, I know God's going to supply my needs because he said he would. No. Because of what we see in number two. Look at number two. The believers who qualify for this provision are those whose use of life and resources reflect a theocentric generosity. Theo, theos is God. Centric is center, centered. So it's when we are God-centered in our generosity. That is, that's the promise throughout Scripture. You're going to see them in just a minute. But, I mean, over and over and over again. Now, here's the thing. We need to understand that there are some promises that are conditional and others that are unconditional. For instance, unconditional. God promised in in Genesis 8 a Messiah, a deliverer. There was no condition placed on whether a Messiah would be sent. It was a promise. There will be a Messiah. You people, my people, Israel, whoever you are, you can screw it up as bad as you want, but I'm telling you, a Messiah is coming. He is coming, no condition. There's the great flood. We think about the flood that took out the world, and God sends a rainbow, and the rainbow is to say, God is promising. This is just a sign of a promise, and his promise is, I will never destroy the world by flood again. Again, you humans, you can screw it up all you want, but I'm telling you, the world will never be flooded in total again. It is not going to happen. It will not, period. But that's not true of all promises. For instance, what are some promises that are conditioned? Salvation is a promise, but it carries a condition. John 3, 16 probably familiar to most all that are here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that what? Whosoever believes in him, there's the condition, shall never perish, but will have eternal life. And this is true also of God's 
promise of provision to take care of us in our needs, there is a condition that he gives, and it's over and over again. I won't look them up because of time, but listen to the substance of these texts. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says, if we, we will reap bountifully, but then it says, if we sow bountifully. I mean, there's the condition. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. He says, my promise, I will fill your barns with plenty. But he puts the condition in there, if you honor the Lord from your wealth. The condition. Malachi 3.10. I love this passage. This is where I learned stewardship was through Malachi. And I wanted those windows open. He says, I promise you, I'll, pour, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing until you cannot receive it all. Man, I read that as a young Christian. I said, God, I want that. I don't know what life's like with a window open and you pouring out blessing, but I want to live my life like that. And then I realize it says, oh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Uh-oh. Oh, I don't want to do that. I'm afraid if I do that, I won't have enough blessing. What? No, no, no. That I can take care with me holding back that little bit of money and I'll take care of me really well versus, no, I'll bring the tithe to you and you'll take care of me really well. Folks, I had to place a bet as a young Christian. I said, God, I don't have any money now. I don't have much at all. I'm really struggling. But God, this is my bet. I'm betting on your promise now. And if I can't bet on this one, I cannot bet I'm going to heaven. I can't bet that my loved ones will be in heaven. I can't bet on anything. Why would I think I could? I'm deceiving myself. I'm just hopefully thinking if that be the case. And for the first time I realized, oh my, I now have to take what, what I logic, I can take care of me. And God's promise, who says, only I can take care of you. And I have to place my bet, one or the other. Last verse, Luke 6, 38. That's the verse that says, give, and it shall be given to you. He didn't say it'll be given to you. He says, give, there's the condition, and it will be given to him. The issue is, can we trust God? Let's look at number three. Number three says, God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Interesting. God's riches in glory... Glory is splendor. So all of his riches are in Christ Jesus. That's the collateral upon which his promise is made. Now, I, I want to go back to uh, the, the word that, that we used earlier that I, I, didn't, I didn't go through the, the definition. Promissory note. Let me go back to promissory note. Here's what that is. It's a written promise guaranteeing a specific payment and meeting described uh, conditions. Now, we're now talking about, secondly, uh, this whole idea of collateral. And for the younger ones here that might not uh, have come across that term, let me give you the definition. Collateral is security that's given as a pledge for the fulfillment of one's promise. Somebody in the older days would say, I promise you I'll do this, and, and, and because I know you, you, you may not trust me this, here, I'm going to give this to you as security to show you how truthful I am about this. I'm not just saying this. I wouldn't give this to you if I didn't commit to coming through with my promise. I wouldn't make this promise knowing that I would give this to you. This is big collateral. So collateral is that which securitizes the, the whole promissory note that we're talking about. 
So it's his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, hear this. It's not the riches or that which his provision is not that which is out of his riches. It is according to his riches. Now, you tell me this. What's the end of the riches of God's glory? They're endless. He's making a, a, a statement to us here. He's saying, look, guys, what I'm promising you, it's, it's all banked on this one concept of the glory in Jesus. And to whatever degree there's glory in Jesus, there's provision that will overflow forever for you. It's made known to us in or by Jesus is literally what it's saying. And folks, that's what we call the gospel. If you're new among us here, you haven't heard the gospel is what it really is. It's good news. Good news about what? It's the good news of what he's done for us, not what we do for him. And he says, now, if you want to know how you're going to expect and why you should expect as a Christian that now you give to God and he's going to give back, doesn't mean he's going to pile money on you. Keep that in mind. But he will bless, life blessing. He promised it. You know how you can know that? It's all based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's in him. Well, what's he done for us? Oh, all he did was give his life. All he did was go to Calvary as God himself and die as if he were just mere human and only human. He says, no, 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 that's what you're banking this thing on. That's how you're, that's how you're secure in the bet that you make. Because you can always go back and remember the cross, a historic event. That's the good news of the gospel. It takes us to the fourth and final piece, and that is this. God's promissory note will never be redeemed without a demonstration of faith. This is the condition. This is the condition. He says, now, you've got this grace in which you stand. We've talked about that in the series past. We've got all this grace available. But how do we appropriate it? It's by faith. The riches of his glory requires faith. Faith is an act. It's actually an act upon a promise that's been made. So God makes his promise, and we get freaked out because it scares us. It does. And we say, okay, but you promised it. I'm going to act. It's what for the family who's heard this, it's that whole idea of coming to the edge of that cliff that I've talked about. And you look down and you say, people die when they fall off. But God says, I want you to lean forward and flap your arms and watch me put you in flight. And everyone knows experiences of life where we do that. I shared mine. You know what yours are. And we say, you know what? God really is faithful in me. Why do I take this area, finances, and say, oh, it's kind of not mentioned much. Church doesn't say much now about it because people get weirded out when they hear people talk about money at church. So they set it aside. No, 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 no. This is the greatest way to learn to fly. It's, it's not really learning to fly. It's watching God enable you to fly. And so the riches in glory, acting on a promise, so it boils down, I'm going to just put these two little quick verses up, and then I'm going to wrap it up to conclusion. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly 
will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So everybody has the picture. It says, okay, if you, if you don't sow, you don't reap. The sowing is faith. The reaping is God's provision. So we have this text in the New Testament. If you look at Ecclesiastes, there's a great text that marries to it so beautifully. In chapter 11, verse 4, it says, He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. What I'm asking, how many of us, how many of us would say that we've been gazing at the clouds and at the winds, and we're making all of our decisions based on what we see in the clouds and what we see in the winds, and therefore we don't sow, and as a result of not sowing, we don't reap. Man, we're missing it if we believe that God is trustworthy. So I've now taught on faith, finished all the teaching. You, you know what it is. You know the promise. You know how it's securitized. You know all the issues. God says there's an account. If you want to give, then this is what's going to happen. So now we know that. The question is, will we trust God? Let me tell you. I've been doing this 11 times. And I will tell you, there are going to be a whole bunch of us here that are not going to bet on God financially. And I want to ask you a question. Here's the question. What do you think God's first thought? What he thinks about you when he considers your financial response and you choose not to be faithful, not to trust him? What do you think he's going to think? And I'm sure a lot of you would respond to that and say, he'd be disappointed in me. Folks, you hear this, if you missed everything else I said, he will not be disappointed in you. Don't give it all, which is way contrary to logic from a faith perspective. But you don't give it all. And if you're God's child, let me tell you, he will never be disappointed in you. He can't be because of the work of Jesus. Folks, he is crazy about you. He's crazy about me when we are faithful and when we're not, when we give and when we don't. But I'll tell you this, I hope your answer would be he would be disappointed for me. That's the truth. He's not going to be disappointed in you. He's going to love you as much as if you gave beyond imagination. So let's settle that score right now. We're betting, not so we can get into heaven. We're not betting on his promise about giving. Not at all. We're not, we're not placing a bet so that hopefully we find the love of God. That's not going to happen. You already have the love of God. And seeker, if you want the love of God, it has nothing to do with your money. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with him covering the sinful heart with his perfect righteousness. And then we... We're seen as his beloved, and he's crazy about us. And as we would be for our children, we're disappointed when they make choices that aren't healthy choices for them. So keep that in mind as we come to this important time. It's time to place our bets. All who would choose to participate in All In, I'm going to invite you, if you will, to look in your bulletin. There's a card. 
And this is where I'd love for you as those that are guests and seekers just to kind of watch the family here and what we do the 12th time over 40 years. As you pull out your cards, they're going to be those that did not pick up a bulletin when you came in and you need one and you want one. Would you just raise your hand? We have ushers that if you'll hold your hand up high, they will come and, and, and bring you. Or if you need a pencil or a pen or if somebody around you is mean and won't loan you theirs or something. But just if you will, if you need a pencil or a pen, you hold your hand up too and we'll make sure that you get what you need at this time. As you're doing that, I hope you will, you'll start filling out the left side of the card. It's just some data. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you what happened in your church on Thursday evening. You heard me last week invite any that would join our leaders. We had all of our officers, not all could come obviously, but our officers and our staff and spouses. And then any that would want to join and make a pledge a little early as an encouragement to the rest of our church. It's following a First Chronicles 29 model where David did just that. He was given the responsibility to raise the money for the temple that his son Solomon would eventually build. And as he does, he makes his gift early and it's known what his gift is. They make known the gift of the officers, uh, the rulers as it's called there. And, and then the people at large gave abundantly because of the great encouragement of the leadership. It's a principle, it's a leadership principle. And we follow that here, we've done it for 12 times. This will be our 12th time. And so we just said, anybody would like to join us? You'd like to be a, a lead giver too? Come, but it'll encourage the rest of the family. So Thursday night, we had a very, very special time right here. We had about 300 of a total number of, of our folks that, that came, uh, 300 uh, gifts that, were, that were, were offered. And of those gifts, our budget for a two-year period is $44 million. Now we have a smaller budget if we have to that we certainly hope we don't have to go to because we had to figure the budget out beforehand. We have a, a preferred budget that would be larger than that. We hope we get to use that. But, but we think, realistically, let's go with a $44 million for two years. It's not exactly 22-22, but it, it comes out to $44 million is what our budget is for the next two years. For everything we give, everything we do in this church, it's all in. It, it's a one-fund type thing. And so we had 300, approximately 300 gifts that came in or pledges of intention. And of that, we had $12 million that was pledged, which is more than half of one year. Your leadership is saying, we want to, we want to start the process. I mean, how encouraging is that? And, and let me tell you, our staff don't get paid much. I know that. I don't know about our officers, but I, I know our staff. They don't make a, a, a whole lot. And, and that was a, a, good, a good number of our people. But, but it, it, it's just a, it's a commitment that we make. And we say, now, let's finish it. Let's complete the whole thing. If you look at your card that you have there, the, uh, Carol and I have always said that we would never ask the church to do something that we were not committed to do ourselves. And so we went through a process, and we think the process is very important. Not an event. You see, I'm not an event guy. Only reason I like events is if they're followed by process. Process changes something in the greatest way, events just kind of stir us and maybe get us into a process. So that's why we've had these 40 days of prayer, 40 days of fasting, uh, asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? Come into the vision casting times to hear where your money's going. All of that. 
And now we come to the point where it's time to do this. And I'm realist. I know that a lot of us just see this first time and say, ooh, I hadn't even thought about this. This is the time, isn't it? We need to come to a decision. Well, I, I would encourage you to go ahead. We're going to give you a couple of minutes to fill this out. I'll tell you even now how Carol and I did it. But as you choose to do that, it will be an event for you if this is when you start the process. The good news is we're not going to announce anything. We're not going to complete this until the week after Thanksgiving. And then we'll announce where we are. And so what you can do is you can get another one of these next week and the next week, whenever. And, and all you do is just put the word revised over it. And they will know we will take your old and throw it away. And by the way, I'm expecting that some people who will put something down today will prayerfully consider and that number will lower. That's perfectly fine. If it goes up, it may change. But you want to make sure this is what God would have for us. If you are family, this is what God has for me if, if you're an individual. So you look at the top right. It says, my impact of one, greet, befriend, and invite. For you that are guests, we've been talking about the culture of invitation around here. We want to greet, befriend, and invite. And we want to do it for the sake of other people, for helping them find what we're blessed to find here. And so we talk about, hey, let's just be an inviting culture. And so there's a, a slot there to put a number. And we've asked that all of our, our people, I shared this at our vision forums, that all of our people at a minimum would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to greet, befriend, and invite, and then help somebody for the first period of time get integrated into the life of the church, whatever that might mean for them. And, and so, but I'm going to be praying for people that God would use me to impact where I live, work, or play. And so... You might put one person, you may put five people, you may put three, and whatever that number is. Our officers, we've asked a minimum of two, and, and, and the staff a minimum of four. Well, Carol and I looked at that, we said, you know what, I, I love, you know, this is something that's a little bit easier for me, perhaps, than some people. Didn't always, but it has become so. And so we came to a number, what Carol and I could both be a part of, we said, let's put 10. So we put the number 10 down. You may put one down. That's perfectly fine. But that's the, that's the top right. Then you come down to my two-year pledge of all in. Well, Carol and I, our story is this, that we, we were, when we first married, we said, we're going to make a pledge. We had, I mean, literally so little money. We would go a week or two with a, not one penny in our bank account, and we would just eat whatever was left. We would do it, and next month we'd come around and we'd say, let's do it again, let's do it again. But we said when we got married that we would begin with the tithe. We think that is still a biblical standard. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe she's wrong on that. But that's what we believe. So we said, we're going to trust you for that. And we started giving a tenth. And I'm going to say to you young folks here, singles, children, young marrieds, start it now. It is so easy to give by faith when you don't have anything. It is so easy. When you got a whole bunch, it's real hard because you see a number and you go, whoa, that's a lot of money. But we started and we said, what if we could keep almost annually, and I, I know there'll be some, and there have been some years we couldn't, but we didn't think it was the right thing, but we'd add a percent and add a percent and add a percent and add a percent. We've been married 42 years. So it's blessed us now to be able to give a whole lot compared to what we make. God has been just really generous to us and what it, and this is where our faith has grown so very 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 much but you need to think what is the percentage that you want to say now carol and i love to give the vast majority to our church because we know what it does but we also have things beyond so we we don't put it on this card 
But we came up with another percent that we would like to give to outside the church. And so, much smaller percentage, but it's a, it's a number that we think that would help us be able to do things that our church won't choose to be a part of for whatever reason. Then you come down to the bottom and it says, check if you made a faith promise pledge with God, excited to see what he does. Many of you would know that three years ago when we did this, we did a three-year at that time, and we, we, we had that number of place to put what we were faith promising if we did and so forth. And we decided this year, no, let's not do that. It's hard to know. It's money. You, don't, it's not, you can't really know for sure it like you could at least closer to your, your pledge. So we said, let's just let people go ahead and do it and just check that they've done it. And that way they can be prayed for. We can as a staff and others pray for them, whatever it might be but just to check that. Well, when Carol and I were filling ours out back a week or so ago, week, last week, whenever, when we were doing that, um, she said, well, where's the place to put the number? I said, we're not doing that this year. She said, well, that's not very smart. <laughs> I said, why is that? She said, Randy, I handle our finances and look at everything and all, but he said, it helps me that when I give toward the faith promise, God provides a little bit and we do, uh, then I don't have to keep up with that. The church can do that and get back to us and say, this is how you've given toward that specific thing. So we will have a special note for all of the people that give. You can put that in. So we did. We placed the amount, and we, we labored over that. How much should we give? And what we gave last three years was we didn't know how would we get that money, and God provided it in an unusual way. But we said, okay, well, let's do this year. Let's put these next two years, let's put an amount down, and we did. So, again, your two-year financial is take whatever be annual, multiply it times two, and then... And there's nobody that's going to ever come to anybody. I hope you know that. Well, you didn't give your money. You pledged this much. No. This is between you and the Lord. This helps us figure out how we budget, how we plan, and all that we do in the life of the church. So I hope this is clear. You understand. Now, let me tell you how we're going to go about turning in our pledges. What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to uh, let me, I'll pray uh, to start the time. Uh, there's going to be a, a, uh, about a two-minute period that you can just sit here and contemplate and, and think about what you want to do and, and, and at least start if you've not already done it. If you've already done it, you're ready to go. But when I pray, these things will be uncovered, and these are, are, are little places you can place your, your cards, and uh, if we run out of space in there for the cards, I think there are baskets underneath that you can just drop in the basket, but there is a button and the button is for the impact of one. And this is where we're saying, as we push that button, we push the button and it's going to say, it is my intention for God to use me with the impact of one and at least one other person. That's my intention. And if that be the case, then every time you push a button, one of these lights is going to come on on the impact of one screen. And you're going to be able just to kind of see the picture of Wow, what it is when we collectively are just putting our one. It seems so nothing until you see the whole board light up. Once it's all lit up, we'll turn it off and run it a second time if need be. I don't know. I think there are enough on there. Maybe we, we don't have that issue. But whatever the case, be encouraged as we do this. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray now and invite you to spend about two minutes, and then I'll, I'll give the word and... Would you just start coming? We, we hope that this will not be anything but a special and glorious moment for all who are here as we watch God's people as we do this. Let's pray, and then we'll spend two minutes alone. Father in heaven, I'm going to invite you now to 
Give us each a spirit of generosity as we, for some of us, as we start this process, for others of us, as we complete the process, we pray that you would, you would speak to us now clearly. Give us hearts to hear and wills to follow. I pray we would bet well at this moment. We pray it in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.